and welcome back to the height of summer in When in Romance, where it is hot, hot, hot in more than one way. Uh, I am Jess. <laughs> and I am Trisha, and that was one of my favorite puns you've ever done on the show. <laughs> and we are recording on Thursday, July 20th, 2023. It is 108 degrees in Tucson, Arizona. Trisha, I hope it is cooler where you are. It is significantly cooler. <laughs> We've still been kind of complaining a little bit about the heat, but I'm not even going to tell you what that means for here because in the Northwest, <laughs> kind of a hot day is like 78 degrees. So uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm just going to say I'm very grateful to be in a part of, and it's, I mean, it's bad in a lot of parts of the Northern Hemisphere. So mm-hmm. I hope everybody's doing okay and, and like the rain is terrible. It's just whatever you're dealing with, wherever you are, weather or otherwise, I hope everybody's hanging in there this summer. Yes. Oof. Yes. Hang in there. Trisha, how are you hanging? You hanging all right? You know, I am. I have um, a couple of updates for you, Jess. Number one, the couple that I was talking about that was in the parking lot last time we recorded, I've seen them together multiple times since then. So I think it's really going to, I think, I think something's coming together for them. Really excited about it. I'm trying not to be like real creepy, but again, it's not my fault. My desk faces out the window. The window <laughs> faces the parking lot. I cannot be blamed. <laughs> I also have another update for you, which I usually ask you first what you are reading. But I'm actually going to go first this time because uh, listeners might recall that an episode or two ago, we talked about the passing of Julie Garwood. We talked about how I know I hadn't read anything by her. I think you either hadn't or had only read maybe one or two of her books. Is that right? Yeah, one, maybe two, but definitely what one. I can't remember what it was. The, yeah. the Bride, maybe? I don't know. Well, interesting. <laughs> Funny story. Uh, so because all of the outpouring from so many of our kind of friends in the larger romance world, different reviewers, different authors, people who write all kinds of different romance or read all kinds of different romance, people just adored Julie Gardwood so much that I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I, I've owned The Bride for years and years. Time to actually read it. <laughs> I did read it. <laughs> I am now on, I think, my third Julie Garwood book in the last week. Nice. Yeah. So I, the one I will talk about as the book I am quote unquote reading is The Bride, just because I think it's a good place to start. It is, well, and I apologize to anybody who listened to all the backlist last week because I talked about it a little bit there too. So <laughs> this book takes place in. 1103, I think. Like, this Mm -hmm. is like a medieval historical situation, right? So Mm -hmm. one of the things that I found really interesting about it is that it was published in 1989. So some of the things about the way that the dynamic between the couple works, you're like, oh, I don't know. He sort of sees her as property initially, and they're forced into this marriage and blah, blah, blah. Like, is that because it was 1989? Or is it because this book literally takes place in medieval times? Like, which thing is it? Probably both. Honestly, it probably is a little of both. And like, he's kind of a jerk at first. But she's spirited and young. And I one of the pieces that we talked about Sarah Wendell having written about Julie Garwood. And one of the things that she said about Julie Garwood in a different piece, when she was talking about a couple of romance authors that were writing historical fiction for a long time, is that even as you see some of the sort of flaws, maybe, that we would say uh, existed in romance in the 80s and 90s, and still exist today, but maybe are less prominent, Mm -hmm. you can also see the like early seeds of some of the types of male main characters that we see where they're sort of tough, 
but soft on the inside and actually mm-hmm. end up doing whatever the other main character wants of them. <laughs> you also see some of those sort of spirited, independent female main characters that started to grow out. And that's very much what this is. It's a just very, very quick summary. Alec Kincaid, who is a Scottish laird, lord, laird, I think we call them lairds. Lairds. He is told by his king that he has to marry an English woman. The English king is also on board. He has to go to this specific family and choose among his four daughters. That's, again, one of those things that you're like, no, this is not great. (laughs) He meets, he picks the daughter he wants to marry with a little bit of help. And uh, they get married on the spot. (laughs) And then they are married. And uh, the way that they kind of like have to dance around each other, because not only is he her husband, so she's supposed to be, you know, obedient or whatever, but he is also like... The big kahuna of the whole situation, right? Like, he's Mm -hmm. the lord, laird, whatever, again, we call them. Uh, And so he is supposed to be able to tell people what to do. So anyway, I'm getting too far into this. We're going to, you know, lose out all of our time. But (laughs) it was really interesting to see the way that even given the strictures of both the medieval setting and the fact that she was writing at a time when romance was less progressive than a lot of it is right now, Garwood still is able to build this love story in a way that felt satisfying. And I'm not going to say necessarily feminist, mm-hmm. but definitely less regressive than I would have imagined. And I was really delighted by it. I immediately read the next book, which was The Wedding. And then I found a different series of books about Scottish people that she wrote. So <laughs> now I'm into that. All of that to say, uh, turns out, Jess, in a shocking turn of events, everyone was right about Julie Garwood. <laughs> Yes, yes, indeed. It's always good to know when people are right about that thing, that kind of thing. Yes. Uh, but enough about me and what I have been reading after, you know, 30 years of not reading it. Uh, what are you up to, Jess? Well, I am still in that, like, audiobook only zone where I sure. bounce between five or six things in, in text, but can pretty easily hold on to something in audiobook. And I just started Goal by Alexandria House. It's the first book in a relatively new series. I think it came out this year, but the second one is also coming out this year, I think. Mm -hmm. And like many of her other series, like people are mentioned from other series, but you can just jump in right here. And this is the first book in a series about black hockey players. Ooh. Speaking of uh, sports that don't have as much representation as they should. Yes. Yes. So, uh, like I said, I'm not very far into it, but from what I can determine, the mailman character plays for a team that is black-owned and black-coached, and many of the players are also black. And it takes place in St. Louis. And he is one of the star players and he's one of, he's been obsessed with hockey since he was a teenager. Um, had kind of a rough adolescence and used hockey to sort of focus. And now he's a great hockey player, professional. He has a longtime girlfriend who he has kids with and then I'm not at that point yet, but it's in the description, so it's not a spoiler. That girlfriend leaves him with his children. And Ah. that's how we are introduced to the other main character who 
left her work as a teacher because she couldn't handle the stress and fear of potentially being involved in a school shooting. Mm -hmm. But she loves kids. She loves working with kids. So she is going to come in and be their nanny. Interesting. And things will go from there. But I I am, I have literally been listening to this book for like 25 minutes, (laughs) like in the car, Mm -hmm. like the last drive, because I needed to listen to music for like a day after finishing a book that I will talk about later. And then Mm -hmm. it was like, I, okay, I need to listen to another book now and started that one. So not very far, but Alexandria House, as usual, is Trey Magnifique in storytelling. Uh, Jacoby Diem is one of my favorite uh, audiobook narrators. If he narrates something, I know I will have a good time. Um, so, yeah. And I can't remember the other narrator because it, I like it's not one of my regulars. So he mm-hmm. narrates with a few narrating partners. So it's not like Wesley Siobhan or one of those. But yeah, so far, really good. Looking forward to how this world is going to be built, both with the Black-owned hockey team and what I am assuming are going to be some pretty precocious kids. I can only imagine. (laughs) Uh, All right, now that we have established how we're doing and what we're reading, let's take a quick break and we'll jump in to the rest of the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Penguin Young Readers. So this book I'm about to tell you about is giving five worlds meets spirited away realness. It's about a girl fighting her way back home after getting trapped in the spirit world. It follows Anzu, who's moved to a new town during Oban, a time for families to remember and celebrate their ancestors. And ever since her Abachan died, Oban has lost its magic. She doesn't feel much like celebrating anymore. So while avoiding holiday festivities, Anzu spots a stray dog down the street, a dog that seems to be staring right at her. So when she chases it, she slips and falls down a bridge, losing consciousness. And when she awakes, she's in the Shinto underworld known as Yomi. The stray dog, she finds out, is actually the gatekeeper of Yomi, and he warns her to return to the human realm before it's too late. Like I said, Miyazaki realness. Um, I'm super excited for this. So make sure to pick up Anzu in the Realm of Darkness by Mai K. Nguyen. And thanks again to Penguin Young Readers for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Okay, we are back. And before we 
do that jumping in that I mentioned before the break, we do (laughs) want to remind you one more time to check out First Edition. As we have asked you before, what do S.A. Cosby, Khalid Hosseini, Sarah Bakewell, and Yadon Israel have in common? The answer is, you probably know from last time, they've been guests on Book Riot's newest podcast, First Edition, where BookRiot.com co-founder Jeff O'Neill explores the wide bookish world. Again, check it out. You can subscribe to hear those authors and stay to hear Book Riot's editors pick the It Book of the Month. To find it, you know what to do. You just search First Edition in your podcatcher of choice. So once again, we're encouraging you to check out First Edition. We think you will be glad you did. And just even though we are now a little bit past the halfway mark of the year, we wanted to talk about some of the books that we've loved this year. But before we did, this is, you know, me trying to figure out if this is just my imagination or otherwise. So I was bouncing some ideas off of you. It has felt a little bit different Mm -hmm. to me, the way that romance has looked, romance publishing has looked in the first six months of this year. And I don't know if some of that is that there have been a lot of authors that I really enjoy and love, and none of them have been publishing adult romance recently. I don't Mm -hmm. know if it's that I've been exposed, which is a wonderful thing, to a lot of authors that are at least new to me or new to adult romance. I don't know. It just kind of felt weird. (laughs) So I sort of indicated to me that things felt a little weird, and I didn't know if it was my imagination. And you, being the supportive and wonderful human being that you are, actually (laughs) indicated that things might be a little different. It might not just be my imagination. No, like if you think about the authors that we have historically talked about, almost on too regular basis, but really not Mm -hmm. because they're awesome. We haven't talked about in this calendar year and potentially even the last. Like Alyssa Cole hasn't put out a book since the beginning of the pandemic. Like, so Mm -hmm. I think there is something about sort of this shift in the books that we're seeing, the books, the the people who are talking about books are doing the same thing that we've been trying to do, which is sort of branch out. So like Olivia Waite, who is an author herself, but also has the column in the New York Times, talks about a broad spectrum of books, both from traditional publishing and independent publishing. So there's just so many books all the time that some of our regular favorites aren't popping up into the conversation, but also they're just not as regular right now. You know, like Christina mm-hmm. Lauren, they publish a book a year. Miss mm-hmm. Bev. Emily Henry. Doesn't have a book this year. Um, well, no, that's not true. She doesn't have a historical romance this year. She has one of her Henry Adams books this year. Sarah McLean has a book out this year, but she hasn't, like, I think the Hell's Bells are less than annual, but not, like, all at once, like, historically mm-hmm. we have seen from some people. Yeah, or like Talia Hibbert, right? Like, yeah, Alicia Rye, like, you know, well, Alicia Rye published one in the fall, but like, it's, as you said, I think a lot of the authors that we know and rely on because we know we love basically anything they put out, right? A lot of mm-hmm. those authors have not published this year, or at least have not published yeah. adult romance. Yeah. And, you know, it could be pandemic burnout. Like, this is the time that anybody who was querying and writing books in the first couple of years of the pandemic would be publishing their books, traditionally at least, because mm-hmm. since in- indie works a lot faster, you know, people write more and more frequently. But 
So, like, I was just looking at sort of, like, the last time some people even had announcements for upcoming books. And there are some people who don't have books coming out until next year that we have historically, at least you and I in the past several years, have gone straight to. Like, you mentioned Alicia Rye is one of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are glad to see so many names. I am sitting in yeah. the room full of books that I have not read. And so many of them are authors that I am less familiar with or have never read before because they're getting the exposure that they deserve. But it is kind of interesting that the ones that we're familiar with if they haven't like completely cycled off are taking this big break. And I don't know if it's their choice or the publishing choice, because we know that like based on some of the information that we've gotten in just in the past couple of days, publishing sucks. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things that I noticed that's kind of like a, because none of this is necessarily bad news, right? It's mm-hmm. There are good things about it. There are bad things about it. One of the things that I noticed that I think is a good thing is that when I was looking at lists that have been published of the best romance of the year so far, a lot of times, whether it's the mid-year list or the end-of-year list, you can look at those lists and expect that 50 to 75% of the list is going to be the same across everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Across Vulture, across New York Times, across, honestly, I think Book Riot does a pretty good job. We've got some folks who read more indie books or whatever, but obviously I am biased. (laughs) Amazon, right? Like you're going to see a lot of the same stuff. But this year, that does not seem to be the case. You're seeing a couple, like Emily Henry is on all of these lists, obviously. But otherwise, like you're seeing different titles, like you mentioned, you know, um, New York Times has titles that I wasn't even familiar with until I read about them there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, I'm glad that Olivia is using her powers for good. <laughs> because yes, she she has one of the highest platforms as far as exposing new people to romance. So I'm yeah. glad to see it. But it is kind of interesting that her favorites are so different from someone else's favorites are so different from like you were talking about, they, they have very little crossover across the board. Yeah. And I wonder too, you had mentioned, and I'll let you talk about this in a second, that we're seeing a lot of previously self-published titles picked up by traditional authors. Mm -hmm. I think I am also starting to see a little bit of traditional authors going the other way, right? You sent me an announcement that I was delighted to see that Diana Biller is actually going to publish the third book in her series that started with Widow of Rose House early next year, but she's doing it not through a traditional publisher. She is Mm self-publishing. I also read recently Ilona Andrews has what I think is, if you are interested kind of in publishing industry stuff, even if you don't read a lot of their books, they are very, and I think it's mostly Ilona, are very honest about their experience in the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. And just within the last week or so, they published a, again, I think it was her, she published a sort of reflection on what you can and can't expect from a traditional publisher. Mm-hmm. And it was, I wouldn't say it was jaded, I would say it was very honest. And they have talked about the fact that their next set of books may not go through the traditional route, um, mm-hmm. that they're not completely done with traditional publishing, but there are a lot of drawbacks. And so I think it sounds like 
Ilona Andrews might be making that decision based on their experience. And if, for folks who don't remember, Ilona Andrews is a husband-wife couple who writes books together. I think they're making that decision based on their options and experience. We don't know necessarily why Diana Biller is headed in that direction. Mm-hmm. But I almost wonder if there's a little bit of a shift to, in publishing, as you mentioned, Jess, picking up books that are already established? Or I, I don't know. I don't know if that's the right way to think about it. Yeah, I mean, like, so... If you remember, was it last year? Was it only last year? Maybe it was the year before. Bloom Books sort of started this with their their whole thing was taking books mm-hmm. and authors that already had a standing and rebranding them or redistributing them. So it started out with the L. James. They've picked up so many people. Bloom Books is on it. They've got Scarlet St. Clair. They've got Mia Sheridan. They like, and then like Atria has picked up Colleen Hoover's books. Avon's jumping into it. Berkeley's jumping into it. Well, Berkeley started Mm -hmm. redistributing the Ice Planet Barbarians and now they've got. Mm -hmm. I was going to call them the Blue Alien books and I was like, that's (laughs) not right. Penelope Douglas, I just saw an announcement that they're going to be reprinting or re- republishing Penelope Douglas's book. So it's just like, it seems like everybody is sort of jumping onto this in part because TikTok has shown that people want these books and will buy them. And if you like, if I know when I have gone into my local Barnes and Noble, because that's the closest bookstore that has a relatively large romance section to me, Mm -hmm. they had Spicy talk tables, and most of the books on it were independently published that they bought from Ingram, and were definitely mm-hmm. planning on selling all of them. So yeah. all of these romance publishers, especially because it seems like they are trying to make more money without doing more work, yeah. are just like jumping onto it. Now I know like Berkeley is like they went through and revised. Ice Planet Barbarians, more was added on the end, scenes were taken out. So it's not just like they're slapping a new cover on something and and throwing it out there. And I haven't read enough of the stuff coming through Bloom, either pre or post, to know if there's really a difference in those. But it's one of those things where like, if they can make a significant amount of revenue without having to pay editors, without having to pay you know, all of the people that are involved that are not redesigning covers, doing copy editing and publicizing it, then they're going to do that. (laughs) So I think that that in itself is sort of causing a shift in the climate. But I don't know if that is making things broader or actually narrower. Like, I have no idea. It's really hard to tell. Yeah, well, and it could be both. And it could be all of the above, right? Like, it's, It's all really complicated. I I will say one of the things that I noticed about some of the less familiar authors, right? Like, we wouldn't necessarily describe somebody like Alyssa Cole as a household name, but Mm -hmm. she is a person whose, I mean, books we think are fantastic. And also, which do tend to end up on lists like best of the year so far or best of, Mm -hmm. you know, this or that. And I think it's been, you know, we'll talk in a little bit about our favorite books we've read so far. All three of those authors that that I will talk about were new to me. I will say 
they're not necessarily, they're definitely not debut authors. The names will be <laughs> familiar to a lot of you, but it mm -hmm. has given me the opportunity to find some new authors. I think the things I worry about, it, it's two things, right? One of them is, are people finding new authors, right? People who do not podcast about books on a regular basis. Are they tracking down mm -hmm. these new authors? The other thing is that one of the things I noticed when I was looking at best of books so far lists for the year is that it seemed to me like on the whole, there was less romance representation, right? Mm -hmm. Amazon had a list of 20 books that were the best of the year so far. And a good chunk of them were genre books. But the two that even maybe could be classified as romance were Happy Place by Emily Henry, which I assume is a romance. I actually have not read it. And then mm -hmm. the book Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld, which I also have not read. And she is not traditionally thought of as a romance writer. So right. I don't know that that would be a romance. So it's, again, like that one. And then Barnes & Noble did this kind of what is actually kind of a fun and clever idea, where instead of dividing their best of the year by genre, they have categories like best hot mess, best shipwreck narratives, best <laughs> books written by journalists, best con artists, which is genuinely, I think, a really fun and interesting idea. But as you scroll through those lists, you don't necessarily see a ton of romance. Mm -hmm. And I think when you are not identifying the best in a particular genre, some of it sure, for sure is there, right? But Again, when you're not talking about books by genre, it gives you the opportunity not to... To not talk about that genre, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, I don't know, I think those are a couple of the things that I worry about a little bit with the shifting landscape. Not that my concerns are going to change anyone's way of operating in the publishing world. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll just keep an eye on it. Yeah, I, like I said, I appreciate you validating my <laughs> concerns and uncertainty related to publishing. I feel like we've done a successful check-in. Are there any other observations that you would make, Jess, about where things seem to be right now? Yeah, this is just something that sort of came up as I was thinking about my own exploration and what's visible and what's not. And this is in part because we talk a lot about the books that are published in trade paperback a lot. And oh yeah. This can go back to my our, our Regency conversation. But it seems like a lot of the authors that have been just sort of like churning them out and doing mm -hmm. it well are are sort of like rising in the stakes. Like I've seen I see them turned out at Barnes and Noble. I see people talking about them. And I don't know if it's the Bridgerton and Queen Charlotte effect that people have they've been waiting so long for a new season of Bridgerton that they just will read all of the all of the books with ladies and dresses on them. I don't know. But it is nice to see because we have been sort of overrun by contemporary books. And of course, now we're seeing more of the, I hate this word so much, <laughs> romanticy. Oh, I actually kind of like it. I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I understand its place. I usually love a great portmanteau, but like yes. fantasy romance is is just as easy to say <laughs> but um anyway so fine anyway sorry to interrupt <laughs> so you know i'm glad that we're starting to see more popular stuff that isn't just like emily henry 
era contemporary trade paperback says it's a rom-com kind of stuff. That, that'll that be interesting to think back on as we talk about, was as we have this conversation at the end of the year, or probably in early January. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fair. I can't possibly imagine what you're talking about with historical romances being more prominent, says the woman who is about to finish her third medieval <laughs> romance in the last week. Uh, no, I think that's a really interesting point. And I think you're right that It'll be interesting to revisit. I also think it'll be interesting to revisit in about three minutes when we're talking about our favorite books of 2023 so far, because (laughs) all of mine are contemporary. So we will find out. Actually, mine are too. (laughs) Well, stay tuned, everybody, to learn about what those are uh, in just a minute. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be. Right? Right, girl. Like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. All right, Jess. So, so far we know... None of our best of the year so far books are by Alyssa Cole, and all of them are contemporary. What else Mm -hmm. can you tell people about your favorite books of 2023 so far? Well, mine, like, they're all very different, which is interesting. But I can tell you straight up that at least one of these you might not enjoy. (laughs) That is so helpful. Thank you. Tell me more. So... 
As you might recall, the last time we talked, I was in the middle of listening to We Could Be So Good by Cat Sebastian. I know, I'm really, really doing well at finding new authors, right? But, so I told her I was listening to it, and it was perfect in mm-hmm. audio. It was perfect, mm-hmm. like literally perfect. But not only is it a relatively long, slightly meandering mid-century historical romance. It is in mm-hmm. third-person present, alternating points of view. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. But I think that is going to be a great fit for a lot of people, so I will let you continue on extolling the many virtues of this book. So if you are unfamiliar with We Could Be So Good, and I don't remember how much I talked about it last time, besides just being like, it's good, listen! It is a... Mid-century historical romance by Cat Sebastian. It's set in the late 1950s, so pre-Stonewall. Um, although they live in the, like, Christopher Street area, which is really interesting. And it is about Nick, a reporter, and Andy, who is also sort of a reporter, but who is going to inherit the newspaper where Nick works. When his father retires, his father is the publisher, and they meet and immediately become friends. Nick, it, like, I had to make an actual sweater and absolute disaster tag on Goodreads for this book because people have talked about that trope, and I hadn't really, like, thought of any of the couples that I had been reading about as representing that trope, but these two. Mm-hmm. Andy, if he lived today, he would definitely have been diagnosed with ADHD. He loses everything. Mm-hmm. He loses his train of thought. He he just, he needs Nick to take care of him. So they become really good friends. Andy is, eventually starts dating another girl at the newspaper. And Nick is like, why do I hate this? I don't want to hate mm-hmm. this. And things happen, but it's it's a really great, like, very quiet story. There is sort of plot, but it's really about the two of them. And it's alternating point of view, but it's, like, in chunks. So the first several chapters are from Nick's point of view, and then the next several chapters are from Andy, and so, oh, forth, so on and so forth. Um, so it's just, like, it's so interestingly put together, and... It's really heartwarming, like, family and found family are always an interesting thing, especially in historicals, and the way Kat toes that line, and I had to tell you, Kat Sebastian made me go out and buy a copy of The Charioteer, because they talk about that book in this book, and I was just like, well, now I need to read that book, and turns out I actually had a copy, (laughs) but it was like an old copy that I bought at either like a used bookstore or something from the 80s. It's a mass market. It's like the spine is really tight. I don't want to hurt that copy of the book. So I went and bought a new copy that I can read. (laughs) But it's just, it's really lovely. And like I said, you know, it's not like super quiet because It's set in the 50s. They have to deal with homophobia. They have to deal with the fear of being found out and arrested. They have to deal with 
living together, if they want to, like, all of this stuff, but it's not Mm -hmm. agony and angst all the time. It's very much, like, it's very internal, but it's, like, sweet. I don't know what else to say about this book, so I'm going to stop now. But you should read it, except Trisha. (laughs) Maybe not me, but other people. (laughs) I'll see. Like I said, for a really good book, I can get over it, but... It's that I appreciate the uh, content warning there, Jess. There, and it's not so much a content warning, the format warning, the narrative warning. Yeah. So the first book that I will talk about is a book called Yours Truly by Abby Jimenez. This was actually the first book by Abby Jimenez that I had read. I can't even remember why I ended up picking it up. But I think there was there were a couple of themes and content warnings that I saw about her very first book several mm-hmm. years ago. No, at least four or five now, three or four anyway that made me not particularly interested in that book. And so then I just kind of didn't, you know, didn't return to her as an author, which I am now realizing was a mistake because I think I've read all of her other four books, Mm -hmm. at least in the last month. But I started with a book called Yours Truly that was published in April. And it's just like a really lovely, almost rivals, but they don't even quite get to rivals to lover's romance. It's about Brianna, who is a emergency room physician, and Jacob, who is also an emergency room physician. He is new to this hospital. He has left his last hospital because his brother started dating his ex-girlfriend or ex-fiancee. I can't remember, but they've been together for like two years. Mm. They broke up. A few months later, she starts dating his brother. And he's like mostly fine with it, but he doesn't want to work at the same hospital. So he comes to this other hospital. Brianna thinks it is because he is trying to take her promotion that she is about to get. Mm. And... So she's, like, super mad. Like, they have this meat disaster. It's a whole thing. But he realizes why she's upset with him. And so he writes her a letter that basically says, I'm really sorry for the misunderstanding. I'm not trying to take your job. I think you're great. And it's much lovelier than that. But it starts this whole, like, back and forth of note writing between the two of them. I know it's really charming and lovely. And so then they start like being friends in real life and they like meet up together to eat lunch in a broom closet. (laughs) So, you know, as one does. And then the story gets a little bit more complicated when he, and this happens fairly early on, so I don't feel like it's a spoiler. It's also in the description of the book. He decides to give her brother who is struggling with very serious illness, his kidney. Mm. Her brother needs a kidney donor. He decides to donate. And of course, because it's a romance novel, he happens to be a perfect match. And so not to return the favor because he's not asking her in exchange. He asks her separately to pretend to be his girlfriend because his brother is now engaged to Jacob's ex-girlfriend. Uh, so he wants to be able to like demonstrate that he's over it and totally fine with it. But he needs someone to help him do that. So anyway... It's kind of a convoluted description, but the book is really lovely and charming. Jacob is dealing with some really serious anxiety issues. And Brianna is like very good about just sort of learning what that means and how to help him through it and how to support him in doing that. Mm -hmm. They just fit each other really well. It was just really lovely. I liked it a lot. And then, like I said, after I read that book, I read like three other books by Abby Jimenez. So, you know, not a bad place to start is... Yours truly. You could also start with Part of Your World, which is the first book in this series, but you will be completely fine if you pick up Yours Truly and just go from there. No, I actually need to read Part of Your World for my IRL book club. So I'm really glad to hear you talk about these authors because now I can go in 
ready. And if you, our dear listener, are tired of us talking about lovely, charming books, because obviously Trisha and I have both been in that kind of mood where we need sweet, Mm -hmm. darling books. That's what it is. Might I point you towards Hostile Takeover by Christina C. Jones. <laughs> uh, um, yet another author that I have never talked about on this podcast at all. Um, so this is um, her most recent release. I am pretty sure it is the first book in her Blackwood Billions series, and Blackwood is one of her sort of like cinematic universes where a lot of things take place and a lot of different people sort of interact. So there might be people that you see mentioned or talked about that are in other books, but just like other things that I've talked about, you don't need to really know a whole lot about them. You can start right here. Mm -hmm. So this is a very, very different tone than We Could Be So Good. And I devoured it. I read it in like less than 24 hours. I sat there and I read, I went to sleep and then I read, it was just like, mm-hmm. I couldn't stop. So this book is about Nalani, who is the COO, I want to say, of her family's business. They own this like spectacular a multi-level grocery store, farmer's market kind of thing in Blackwood. It's been family-owned, Black-owned, historically-owned for decades. And it's her legacy. She has been working to maintain her legacy. But at the very beginning of the book, we find out that her father, who married into this business, um, it was her mother's family business, has sold the building and the property to the family that owns like black whole foods. This is, this family has so much money. They are everywhere and expanding regularly. And Orion, who is basically in charge of that business, has come to collect. But when he sees Nalani, he's like, you know what? I won't take your building if you can't pay me, but mm-hmm. you should marry me. Ooh. And then what's mine is yours. <laughs> and Interesting. That feels like weirdly reminiscent of like one of the medieval books I've been reading. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Kind of. It's very like, <laughs> I am warlord marrying me to save your family, but in mm-hmm. billionaire style. So she's like, I don't have a choice. We obviously have this like weird chemistry where I hate you, but I want to sleep with you. So, okay, fine. So he, he gets the ball rolling. They, they have this amazing contract where once they get married, she owns the, everything he bought from her family. She owns again. And there's all of this other stuff happening, but it's mostly about them sort of figuring themselves out and falling in love and uh, dealing with their unfortunate chemistry, which is only unfortunate to Nala, but she absolutely hates sure. the fact that she wants to sleep with him. 
<laughs> and it's yeah. like, I don't like him. I don't want this. Mm-hmm. This was against my will, essentially. But dang it. Ugh. So there's yeah. a lot of that. And, you know, it's Christina C. Jones, so she makes everything fun and amazing. I will offer some content notes for a side character who is a little bit stalkerish and very much a criminal who does at some point both threaten and assault one of the main characters. Someone's threatened with a Mm -hmm. gun. There's some tense family situations and there's, there's some other, other things. I think that Christina lists them if not in the description, then at the beginning of the book. Um, so you should be able to go in aware of the various things that you might encounter. There's a, a medical emergency too, but not from either of the main characters. So there's there's a lot going on with this book, but somehow I still had so much fun. Like, it's not bright and sunny, but it is darn enjoyable. (laughs) So that was Hostile Takeover by Christina C. Jones. If you've never read her before, this is a great place to start. If you have read everything else, then keep going. Great. Yeah, there's a new book for you. How exciting. Yep. Uh, That sounds amazing. I am due for another Christina C. Jones. I haven't read anything by her in a while, so I may have to take you up on that. (laughs) The next book I'm going to talk about is one that I absolutely loved. I would tell you it's one of my favorite books that I've read this year, but that's the segment, so you know that already. (laughs) It's one of my favorite books that I've read probably in the last few years. For me, this was a five-star read, and I don't have a ton of five-star reads. I have a lot of four-star reads. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's why I feel like I don't rate a lot of things on Goodreads because I would be like 95% four stars and then like 3% three stars and 2% five stars. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this book would be in the five stars and it is called Role Playing. It is by Kathy Yardley. Technically, this book came out for everyone to read on July 1st. So it's sort of the second half of the year, but it was available early for some sort of Kindle subscribers on June 1st. So I'm counting it as first half of the year. (laughs) And there are so many things that I love about this book. One of them is that the couple in the book, both main characters are older than we usually see in romance. Maggie is 48. And Aiden, who is the other main character is 50. They Mm. are both gamers. And so they actually meet online through sort of a gaming guild first. But there is a misunderstanding as happens. And so she (laughs) thinks he is a very young college student, like 1920. He thinks she is old enough to be his mother because (laughs) she's told him that she was when she thought he was 19 or 20. But since (laughs) he is 50, she is then assuming that, you know, or he is then assuming she is 70. So anyway, so there's that kind of confusion. They eventually get over it. I felt like there was a lot of good representation in this book. Aiden is bisexual and demisexual and has dealt with a lot of queer phobia. There is some queer phobia in the book related to those things. But Maggie actually helps him understand more what his demisexuality is and what that means for him. There is also a fantastic scene. One of my like very, very, very favorite things in romance is when one main character stands up for the other one 
in mm-hmm. particularly a situation with the person who's being a tax family. There's a great scene where Maggie just like fully goes to town. I will also say this is going to sound weird, but it's true. This is another book where Aiden's brother is married to Aiden's ex-fiance. Uh-huh. I know. Yeah, it it's less of a good situation in this book than it was in yours truly, but uh, they're, you know, they're figuring it out. So anyway, it was just like, I think I read this book. It hit my Kindle, I think at, you know, midnight on July 1st. I'm pretty sure by July 2nd, I was done because I really, really loved it. I thought it was great. The other thing that I really like about this book is that I think a lot of times with romance where Maggie has moved to this small town, Aiden has moved back to this small town to help care for his aging mother. You definitely see a kind of care for an aging parent in this book that is Mm. really difficult, and really adversarial. I'm not sure you see a lot of that in romance. You also see two people who are in a small town who it's not all like virgin river and like happy (laughs) sunshine and whatever. Like this is, these are two people who are not necessarily happy in this small town. And I think that was a really interesting way of representing this as well. Uh, Also, this book takes place in Washington State, which is where I live. And so I totally understood all of the inside references about Washington. But you could enjoy it a lot. It could be a five-star read for you (laughs) without you knowing all of the intricacies of Washington State and the competing football schools. You would be fine. (laughs) But genuine, I I am 100% certain that this book will be one of my very favorite books that I read this year. We we probably won't – I probably won't talk about it again at the end of the year, even if it's at the top of my list. But – I've been thinking about it a lot since I read it. So anyway, I've been rambling on for a while, but I very much recommend Role Playing by Kathy Yardley. And I'm looking forward to reading that one because I did get it as a first look book or whatever it's called. But of course, did I read it? No, but I am excited to get to it because it sounds absolutely delightful. I had already pre-ordered it, Jess, which is why I didn't get it as a first look book. I saw it come up and I was like, ah, I already Oh, fine. I'll wait till July 1st. It's fine. (laughs) All right. You got one more? I have one more. This was another audiobook listen that was spectacularly narrated, and which I got to say, narration is possibly what pushed this into five stars, but I have other five stars books by this author, so maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it should have been six stars with the narration. But that book is Something Wild and Wonderful by Anita Kelly, which I think one of our fellow writers put into the best books of 2023 so far list on Book Riot proper. Yep. Isabel did. You are correct. Yeah. And I will link to that list for what it's worth. Okay, perfect. This is technically, well, kind of second in a series as in the characters, the central characters in Love and Other Disasters appear in this book, but you don't have to have read it to really know what's going on. Although there is a technical spoiler for events of the first book that don't have to do with the main characters getting together at the end. And this book was really interesting because it's set mostly on the Pacific Crest Trail. And I think I've mentioned this, I've mentioned this book before, maybe when I was still listening to it or something. But so mm-hmm. it's, it's very quiet. The Alexi and Ben, who are the main two characters, Alexi starts out doing the trail on his own. And when he first encounters Ben, Ben is with a trail family and they sort of keep running into each other and then they decide to, 
do the trail together. If you're unfamiliar with the Pacific Crest Trail, it is it goes from Southern California all the way up to Canada. Like you're just walking, walking. <laughs> like I don't, I yep. don't even know how to, it's a lot how to of describe miles. it. It's a lot, a lot of miles. So you know they they camp together. They find places to get clean together. They they find places to pick up their resupplies together. Like they are they are together a lot because it is almost impossible to separate when it comes to mm-hmm. hiking the same pace on one central trail. So it's very quiet and much like we could be so good, it's very internal um, because both Ben and Alexi have decided to do this trail as part of a sort of self-reflection and self-discovery kind of thing. They're both in a place where they can they could take time to do it. So they're thinking about their futures and the next steps and stuff. And they just so happen to find their person on the trail. Aww. So, you know, there's there's lots of are we friends? Am I like Alexi is actually dealing with the fact that he has probably never actually told anyone besides his parents who didn't take it well that he is not straight. So even just mm-hmm. like dealing with that kind of conversation on the road um, and all of that is very internal as well. So it's, there are some, pe- there are some periods where they're not on the trail, but it's mostly like, I'm going home for Thanksgiving or something. I don't remember somebody's birthday or something like that. And then I'll be back on the trail. So it's just sort of like a deviation, but the story is set on the trail from beginning to end, really. And it's just, Anita Kelly has such a way with words. Like they, they can tell a hell of a story. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I don't know that. I could read another romance novel with the same setup that would be so absolutely amazingly, like, heart-wrenchingly good. But Anita is Anita, and they do a great thing. So, something wild and wonderful. If you haven't read any of their books before, this is a good one to start with. But really, all of them are a good one to start with. (laughs) But for today, that's the one we're talking about. That sounds amazing. Um, like I said, I will link to the full book riot list in the show notes. I am actually, speaking of that list, going to talk very, very briefly about just one more, and that's The Neighbor Favor by Christina Forrest. Mm-hmm. I actually wrote about this for Book Riot's Best of 23 so far, which is part of the reason I'm not going to go into too much depth, but I think I also might have talked about it as either a book I was reading or a book I was excited about, or possibly both. It starts with kind of this, like, you've got mail premise, where uh, Lily, who's one of the main characters, sends an email to one of her favorite authors who wrote this just like very random, I think, independently published book that almost no one has read, but it's her favorite book. She loves it so much. She emails this author just to be like, hey, just so you know, I really love this book. I wanted you to know that she is very lightheaded and dizzy and on a train at the time. Uh, (laughs) And so she doesn't even remember having done it. And then the author responds. And they start having this kind of like back and forth about who they are. And like, maybe, you know, like as things evolve, because it's over the course of like six months. And Mm. they think like, well, maybe we should meet up in person. And then he the author kind of 
freaks out and shuts everything down and kind of walks away. Mm. So she is very hurt by all of that. But she's moving on. It's a whole thing. You know, she's living in New York, working in the publishing industry, trying to accomplish her best professional goals, uh, has a super hot new neighbor. Spoiler alert, the hot new neighbor is the author. (laughs) Jess, I bet you didn't see that coming. No. (laughs) So she doesn't know that. He eventually figures it out, kind of you've got male style. Mm -hmm. But they do end up kind of like having this budding friendship slash relationship slash it's complicated situationship. Mm -hmm. And there are a few things that I love about this book. One of them is, as you can tell, I do actually love a little bit of an epistolary element to romance, like the letter writing and the email writing was really charming to me. Mm -hmm. But also, these two are like absolutely completely book nerds right Uh, and like they're book nerds talking about books that have been published in the last five or ten years they're not like well as J.R. tolkien (laughs) J.R.R. were there two r's i don't know there are two r's yeah used okay that's great whatever (laughs) at any rate there i mean there might be a J.R.R. tolkien reference in there but a lot of it i want to say they might have mentioned like nk jemison like there's there's definitely more recent references. She is trying to, like, again, make her way in the publishing industry. He is considering republishing his book. Like, there's that part of it. They're also just kind of at a point in life where they're both just trying to figure out who their people are, right? Like, who is their mm-hmm. community? Who is their family of choice? Like, what does that look like for them? And I just found it really, really charming. Christina Forrest was new to me. I think this was her adult romance debut, if I'm not mistaken, and you might know this, Jess, I think maybe she'd written YA before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that sound right? Uh, she's written a few. Yeah. So I was just very, very happy to find this book. And I said I wasn't going to talk for a long time about it. And then I did. So <laughs> sorry. But you should read The Neighbor Favor by Christina Forrest. Love, Trisha. Love it. All right. I think we are over time. So, you know, Probably. we might get in a little bit of trouble, but I think we'll be all right. We, it was important for us to tell you about all of these books of 2023 so far. Mm-hmm. Anything else you need to add just before we start wrapping things up? I I like, I hope you could tell that I absolutely adored all three books I talked about as my favorites of 2023 so far. I am curious as to what the list might look like for me if I had actually been able to finish books. Yeah. And read books that were written this year. I finished a few books that were written in the past decade and a half. But very few that were written this year. And I think, you know, part of that might just be because there are so many books. Um, Like, we were talking about how publishing has sort of expanded. And one thing that we're seeing now is that there are a lot of really good books being published. And not to completely disrespect the past generations of romance novels, but there was sort of like a, the like, mid-level mediocrity of of romance where it's like okay that was fun Mm -hmm. i can imbibe that and move on to the next one but now there are so like because it's almost harder to get into the romance genre everything has stepped up as far as how good it is so now there are just so many books that could potentially make this list if i could ever get to them Someday. Someday. It's an embarrassment of riches. It is. Well, and like you said, Jess, we will talk either late in 2023 or earlier in 2024 about our favorite books of the whole year. Mm -hmm. And who knows where either of us will be then. Indeed. 
Um, but we desperately want to know what your favorite books of 2023 so far are, partly because we have six more months of reading to do before we can figure out what our favorite books are. Mm-hmm. So let us know. Let us know, too, if you've kind of discovered any new authors, if you have any observations about any of the things that we talked about related to the industry, if you have suggestions for the next book club book. We were just talking about how we need to pick another one of those. So we would love to hear from you. As always, you can send us an email at whenandromance@bookriot.com. You can reach me on Instagram at Trisha Haley Brown. And Jess, where are you these days? You can still find me on the Bird app. Jess is reading all one word. You can find me on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading. You can find me on the clock app at Jess underscore is reading. And if you have happened to get an invitation to Blue Sky, I am on there as well. I think as Jess is reading all one word. (gasps) You got an invite. Okay, we're putting that on the agenda for the next time we talk. All right. A huge, huge thanks, as always, to our wonderful audio editor, Jen Zink. Please do rate and review the podcast. It helps folks find us. And with that, I think we're going to wrap it up because, Jess, it is very hot where you are and you turned off your air conditioning. I did indeed, though the sun is going down and it might have cooled, it cooled off three whole degrees while we were talking. So, you know, it's a little better. Oh, thank goodness. But I will say my farewells indeed. And Trisha, we don't get to talk together for a whole month. Yeah, we've got some subs coming in in August. Jess will be on next time and then I'll be on the time after that, but we have some fun guest stars for you. So get excited, everybody. Get excited. Until the next time you hear our voices, happy reading. <laughs>